This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Homestar Radio. My name is Chris Hamling and tonight we review another game in which Palace haven't won, this time losing 3-1 to Everton with an injury hit squad. I'll be introducing you to my panel in just a moment, but of course we want to hear from you today too as well. Go to holradio.net forward slash contact to find out all the ways to get in touch with the show. We'll be back in just one moment. reasons to hate Brighton. Homophobia, homophobia doesn't need to be one of them. Follow us on Twitter at Proud and Palace. Welcome everybody. Introduce my panel to you right now. I missed some words out of that sentence. It was good. Anyway, let's move swiftly on. I've got Dr. Kerners. Hello. Hello, Dr. Uh, I've got Stefan Marks. <laughs> Did I say that right? Uh, close enough. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Stefan. Uh, yeah, this is your first time on the the, the live show, so uh, excited to have you on, mate. We've also got Nicholas Gillard. Watcher. Watcher. Always bringing out the 70s words. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, someone has to, don't they? That's the thing. I'm only here to keep the um, the age up, really, average age now, aren't I? Yeah, well, that's Patrick right. Representing. <laughs> yes, mate, we're working on getting some, some older people back in, you know, back involved, but... You know, they go to bed really early, don't they? So that's the problem with them. Yeah, you have to get somebody from New Zealand or something, so it's an early morning show for them. Exactly right. So uh, that's my panel today. Uh, but we've, uh, you know, it's obviously a bit of a somber tone. We've got a terrible, terrible result to, to review. Uh, but just before we get into that, um, so our producer, Mikey, wants me to, to sort of, you know, to get sort of get with get with the programme a bit, if you know that phrase. Nick, you'll know that phrase. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs> too often. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, apparently now people have in their homes they have uh, these sort of smart speaker type things that uh, effectively they're like the wireless, Nick. You know, like when you tune into the wireless, they're like those, uh, but they respond to speech and stuff. They listen, Chris. They're listening they listen to everything. I don't trust it, mate. Oh, I don't. If that's what the kids want to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. But if that's what they're going to do, apparently we've got to get involved with this. So, 
Uh, this is particularly if you have a Google Home or a Google Home Mini, apparently. It's exciting, isn't it? So uh, you can go, okay, Google, listen to Homesdale Radio, and that will listen live, right? Or you can go, okay, Google, listen to Homesdale Radio podcast, and that will listen to the latest podcast episode. Uh, we'll be functional for all of those things, like, you know, Alexa, that's another one, isn't it? That's the one that Mikey's got as a girlfriend replacement. Uh, Alexa, <laughs> put on Mikey's special site. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Friend, electronic friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, we're we're enjoying that. So, um, <laughs> just yeah, we'll uh, obviously be ensuring we're compliant with all uh, home slash girlfriend replacement devices. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. I told Mike I wouldn't take it seriously, but we will. <laughs> we'll be talking more seriously about that in the future. And I understand it. He's uh, sent me a a little emoticon of a, I call it an emoticon, emoji of a, a middle finger stuck up. Sorry, Mike. I like so, the way that the, uh, the actual description of it came up on my screen. It's it? a, a fist with the middle finger raised. There's <laughs> <laughs> a notification. Oh, dear. Anyway, look, let's get into the unpleasantness, shall we? And it's also known as any match that Palace play at the moment. Um, so once again, it's, uh, it's, a, it's all about an injury disaster. It's all about you know, Mamasako being injured again. Uh, the back four we started with was you know, Joel Ward, who obviously hasn't played a game in a while, but back fit. Uh, Fossey Mensah and, and Tompkins as centre-backs and Van Arnhoek at left-back. Uh, and it didn't really work. It was, uh, it, was a, it was a real tough, tough watch to look at that back four and how they performed. You know, first half, I think it's fair to say, although we had, a, we had moments where we looked a little bit shaky, it kind of at least held in a, in a, in a shape, but we weren't looking, you know, we, we restricted Everton to, to really long range efforts and it, it looked relatively solid, but absolutely went to pieces at key moments in the second half that we'll come back to. But I want to start with a little discussion about Fossi Mensa and about how, you know, how he performs as a centre-back. And of course he was signed as that, you know, as a footballing centre-back. So was, you know, Jairo Riedeveld. And obviously there was some discussion about uh, De Boer putting, uh, Luka Milivojevic back there as well for the exact same reasons and that was the kind of the way he wanted to play and have a, have a back three who are all capable of playing you know football with the ball on the deck that kind of stuff but uh, Stefan as it's your first live show I'll start with you mate can Fossi Mensa actually play centre-back? I actually think it might be his best role to be honest um, I think that whilst he's raw and that applies to whether he's at right back or centre-back uh, he makes up for that with his pace and I think that, quite frankly, his crossing is atrocious. So whilst he's got pace, I think that that's probably better used at centre-back, even if it is in a slightly uh, kind of recover way rather than a purely solid way. And I think it's difficult to go from playing right-back for a long period of time to playing centre-back. I think he's capable, but I think there'll be naturally a bit of rustiness. Do you think... I mean, I'm thinking more positionally, and we'll talk about the whole back four in that sense, I think, as we go through the show. But does he have those natural instincts, or is that something that he's really going to have to be coached on and given full experience in? I think it's fair to say that that is what will make him into a top-class player, because he, you know, he needs the game that he hasn't naturally got that. We could have said the same about Rio Ferdinand when he first came through, although he was a better passer of the ball. Um, that that will separate whether he is a Man United type of player or or below. Uh, it's a fair point uh, that he hasn't necessarily naturally got that. But I think, quite frankly, it's difficult for any young player to have that at centre back. Um, let alone, I'm not saying that he is 
uh, isn't slightly worse than your average in that regard. No, fair point. Dio, what about yourself? Do you, you know, do you think that that was the right decision to play in there? I mean, I'm not saying, well, the only other option, I suppose, other than Yak, who's not made a squad yet, or uh, or indeed Damien Delaney. It was Fossey Mensa still the right choice for you? Um, yeah, based on that, yes. But if, if everyone was available, I wouldn't play Fossey Mensa centre-back. I think his decision-making and his aerial abilities um, doesn't make him a centre-back right now. Um, I think it's prefer to write back his pace. I know his crossing is bad, as Stefan did say, but his pace to run back and catch fast wingers um, and his tackling abilities make him a super right back. I think in the future, he can be a very good centre-back, but he needs to be coached into it. But then again, as you said, Chris, um, would I rather have Delaney there or Fossil Mensa? I would have Fossil Mensa. So yesterday, it was a correct decision, but in the long term, I think right back for now is his best position. So, Nick, does this show really this is about the frailty of our squad or should we really be expecting someone, you know, that we've got on loan for this season, we put an awful lot of trust in? Should he really be coming in and playing better than he did? And he was far from the only one, but he was a contributing factor in that uh, the poor defensive performance in the second half. Do we know how he did in the under-23 games he played in? Um, Not really. Is it, yeah, there you go. I mean, if, if somebody's been to one of those games and can tell us how he did in those games and let us know, that'd be great. Um, Mike is saying he scored. No, um, oh, you mean yeah, and, don't you? Yeah, no, yeah. That, that, that was no ra- a racket uh, scored. Not, not yak, yeah. Cool. So I just went yak, yak, and I'm, I hope he hasn't uh, <laughs> <laughs> taken that one. I'd have, I'd have shoved Delaney in there because Delaney and Tompkins work together well, and they kind of know each other. And you've got Delaney, who knows, who knows what to do. Well, I, saw, <laughs> I know that experience but... pro and all right is is. He is getting a bit old. However, I think he could have done the job there because when we talk about the goals, Fossey Mensa did look a bit lost. Yeah, and you can be lost at left back or right back a little bit more than you can at centre back. Centre backs, you know, it's like yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I know, I know. Dr is going to say probably what I was about to say, so I'll let him say. It. I understand experience part of it, but if you're actually looking at him, I don't think he's got the legs to handle the centre-back role. I think Delaney's out out of contention. He was only there purely on the fact that we haven't got enough numbers. Um, Even, I think Roy said it, he said, we got 23 players or something plus Damien Delaney. If if your manager's saying that, then clearly he's not rated for a reason. And yeah, I wouldn't put Delaney there. I'll still put for Mensa, even though he's not rated. And if your manager's not putting Yak in, he's doing that for a reason as well. So. Yeah, Ste- Stefan's made that point. You know, obviously, yeah, you know, Yak's not, yeah. although he's relatively inexperienced, um, so he's obviously a choice not to play him. But uh, uh, yeah, and I've read a couple of people who watched watched the under twenty three game. I, I think you know, I think he's again. It's one of those he's got to play a few games, doesn't he? Get used to the, the pace of it, even at that level, before he can be, perhaps be considered for the squad. But there we go. That's where you get the criticism of the transfer window: signing players who aren't ready. You know, it's your opportunity to to boost the squad. Um, but you know, we made the choices we did, and we bought. Well, you've got to say we're not using them. We've got what we've bought for the future, haven't we? So there we go. I don't, you know, difficult to uh, difficult to say. You know. Because You've you've got limited options in that window. You've got you've got to make a choice uh, one way or another, and you've got to get the players that are available, I guess. But we'll definitely be talking more about the the transfer window. A lot of people blaming our current woes on the two poor windows they call it, and I think we've got to talk around those issues because it's nowhere near as black and white as a lot of people are making out. And that's not me trying to say we're going to make excuses for anyone. We're just going to 
going to present other other sort of angles of that argument so perhaps people can see that you can't cover every eventuality and you certainly certainly can't cover was it 10 12 injuries that we've got nick roy did say in the pre-match um or post post-match was it about stacko had been training all week and then told him just before that he he wasn't fit to play. So you've got, you've got also factor in the fact that Fossi Mensa hadn't been training in that position with a view to maybe perhaps playing it. No, very good point, Nick. And I, I, I'd miss that. I'd miss that statement. So that's very interesting. Um, but there you go. That's football, isn't it? So you do get that. And um, we seem to be getting an awful lot of bad luck around the fitness of our players at the moment. <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's depressing. Uh, so Joel Ward was back, back from injury, played, played, you know, Played in his favourite position at right back there. Um, I'll get into what I think is the ultimate discussion with Joel Ward, which is his ability to to stop across. That's that's the issue, only issue I've ever had with him uh, because he was playing extremely well before before his injury, and he's come back in and he's taken Fossey Mensa's position there. Um, and Dio, I'm going to start with you on this. So, you know, what, well, just give me a little little bit of feedback on how you felt Joel Ward got on. Yeah, I think he was solid just before he got injured. Um, he was playing very well uh, in the first place. And yesterday, he, he tried his best um, helping Andros um, and, and attack as well as he tried his best defending. And I think he done a very good job. And I do see where you're coming from about the crosses. But I don't think he done particularly that bad yesterday. Except, yeah, I just don't no, think he done no, that sure. bad. No, again, he's, he's certainly of, of the back four. He's probably the one I, I'd criticise least. Um because you know he has got limitations in that position, I, I do feel. Stefan, your views on on Wardy coming back? Yeah, I thought he was fine. Um, the only thing I would say is uh, not so much about his performance, but considering we didn't make any subs, it would have been actually quite nice to give him a kind of easing into the game and maybe after an hour take him off and try out Wan Bazaka, who's supposed to be quite highly rated. I kind of felt like in that right back position, it would have been quite a low risk uh, sort of semi debut to to play him. Sure, and, and that again, that is a, a topic we're going to visit very, very shortly. I think um, because you're right. It, you know, for me, it's different than last week. This week, we're talking about a point, particularly when we're three 0 down in the game. You know, and well, the best win in the world, the game is gone. It pretty, you know, it was, it was gone at two 0 down. In all honesty, when you looked at, at how we were playing and, and what options we had up, uh, to change things around and, and, and get a more of an attacking uh, foothold in the game, there was literally nothing that we could do. But Having said that, there was also nothing that we tried to do. And we'll come to that in just one moment. But there's one last little topic I want to talk about. And that is Patrick Van Arnholt uh, in terms of defence. Outstanding against Newcastle. Uh, how was he this week, Nick? Hot and cold. He had moments of, of brilliance. He put in a couple of really, really good balls. He, he seemed to be up for it. And he was very, very positive about what he did. But during the the uh, the goals he just looked like he didn't know where he was. The, they were, in fact all defensive players there didn't look like they knew where they were. It was it, it was like most of the other players where they all had decent games, save for one or two moments that badly let them down. Yeah. With with Van Arnholt, it was, we were back to the old problems in my view, and that's you know once he's done his contribution going forward, it's the it's the attention he gives to his positional play coming back, you know, so we have, and we'll do some analysis on mm. the goals in a bit, but um, I think that's probably the best way I can sum it up at the moment. You know, he, 
it just it doesn't think through the whole game. You know, against Newcastle, he was switched on for 90 minutes, got up and down that flank, was brilliant going forward, but also really worked hard to get back. And he just had that, you know, he, he was playing the left back. He was playing the proper position of a left back who was asked to push forward. It was great. It was great. But unfortunately, you know, we're not talking about minor little slips. We're not talking about a player who, you know, is... It's just missing that edge. We're talking about a player who literally has seems to have absolutely no clue where he's supposed to be after he's after he's made an attacking run. And I'll say I'll draw some proper attention to it in a bit. But do you want to jump in there? Yeah, um, I think we was talking about it last week, but we definitely have talked about it. It's the him and Hennessy. I don't. I know we don't really really want to talk about Hennessy, but we might do later on. It's it, the consistency is not there. And that's what makes you a good player. Last week, we saw how good it was going forward and defensively. But this week, it was a different story going forward. Yes, he was good. He put in some nice crosses, as Nick said. But going backwards, like, we're going to analyse the second goal. But it was very poor. He just ran away um, from the from Nias and just left him open header. And that's what makes you a good player. And he's not doing it. He's not doing it. He needs to do it consistently. Steph, uh, Stefan, I want to bring you on that. You're making some points in our chat there, so let's get him on air. Uh, it's just, I think, I agree that PVA has his limitations defensively. Um, I just think that if he didn't, then he'd be kind of the all-round fullback, and he'd therefore be at a bigger club. We would have never got him. And um, <clears throat> Sam, if anyone would have known his weaknesses to to pick out, because he's the only one who's kind of got him to actually be a solid defender as well as good going forward in the past so there's a certain degree of inevitability and considering our lack of options there with Schlepp injured I do, I mean, he's good run I just don't want us to go too hard on the fella yeah I, I, totally, I totally understand that and the second point you make about Allardyce knowing his weaknesses you know you, you're, you're spot on there and I felt that, that about the whole game really it's I felt you know we go into a game of double figures of injuries and we have to play against uh, not just a manager, but a coaching team as well, you know, the performance analyst and goalkeeper coach and all that stuff who were at the club last year. So they've got, you know, you you look at the team that they picked, the bench they had, compare it to what we had and then add that factor in. It almost felt like it was a completely unfair situation to be put into. Um, And like you say, the word you use there of inevitability, that's exactly how I felt even before the ball was, you know, ball was kicked. I felt it was fairly inevitable that we would lose that game, and I hate I hate thinking like that. But um, but going back to the the point you're making to be a top six club, have you had it all? I, I get that. I get that point. I, I say that a lot about what you say about most of the players we have. They've all got a like a glaring weakness in their game that if they perhaps closed closed off, you know, as, you know, if they if they went that extra level, if you like, you're right. We'd struggle to keep hold of most of them. But at the same time, I think we're talking about really basic stuff about running back when you when when you run forward that kind of thing and he's proven that he can do it um but there you go um we, we won't, you're right he doesn't deserve too much stick but we'll uh, when we get into the analysis of the goals we might be revisiting that <laughs> touch i think um although it was far from just him um so uh, let's let's take this into a, a bit of a tactical discussion now so obviously um the, the first thing i want to talk about is how we used um Soloth in that uh, in in his you know in his debut. First, first of all, uh, Nick, I'll start with you. First of all, how did you rate his debut? Fantastic. I think we've got we've got a bloody gem there. I nearly swore on live radio. Can't do that. No, I think <laughs> gonna, I think that we've we've picked a good one there. And anybody slating Dougie on Twitter is a twatter. 
because I think he's, he's he's picked a gem. He was he, I know it's his debut, but he shows that when he heads towards when he has a header towards goal, he gets it towards goal. More of which later. Um, he won the ball well. His passing were, was as good as um, was as good as anybody's, I think. Um, and he just was really, really up for it. Um, strange to put him on the right. Maybe, maybe he've had left. Out left, there, or, or left, whatever. Um, should have been the other side because Townsend was on the wrong wing. Again, we'll come back to him later because I'm I'm not happy with him. Um, but Soloff, yeah, very solid, very happy, and he could be the one that keeps us up. That's well, how good I think he is. Yeah, it's interesting. You see, you know, I, I felt he had a decent game as well, and was was really encouraged with certain parts of his game. And he had certain people calling him a pub player as well, which I thought was a stunning, stunning piece. I think he caused a lot of problems. It was noticeable. Uh, I think particularly early on as well, he kind of struggled a little bit with the pace. And I don't mean, I don't mean sort of running about, but he did that very, very well. It was great getting back defensively. I, I mean, more about when he actually had the ball in his possession. You know the speed of thought, the need to move. It just is one of those things where he's been playing in a league where you perhaps don't have to be quite so quick with your decision making. And, and I think as the game went on, he adapted really well to that. Stefan, what did you make of that debut? I mean, I think he did fine. I, I think I don't want to mention the other pod too much, but I think it was quite well summed up by the uh, FYP extra guy. On you know, you can't get too carried away with a. Uh, for a debut, unless there are significant goals, etc. So I think he did about as good as he could have done in the role that he was being asked to do, which, according to some FIFA fans, is something that he has done before, being pushed out slightly on the wing. Um, yeah. And he has apparently got the pace to do so. But, I mean, quite frankly, I thought he was fine in a Connor Wickham way, in the sense that I'm not Connor's biggest fan, and um, his record of goals suggests that he's a bit hot and cold himself. And I kind of think that he offered what Connor did, won a few headers, got a bit stuck in, but he didn't really offer a significant goal threat. But I just don't think you can expect much more on a debut when he hasn't played for a few months. Uh, I believe in the scouting system and he deserves some time. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was a pleasant surprise. I would, I'd agree with that assessment. You know, it's certainly he was given a, a different role in the team than I expected him to be given. I mean, I didn't think that they'd have him quite so pushed out on the left. As you say, that he's apparently played that role before. Um, but, you know, as you, and the player you mentioned, Wickham was was known for that as well, often being used on the, the left of an attack. But what did you make of the role that he was given, Dior? Could you Would you would you have done anything differently there? Um, well, you had to mark Seamus Coleman, and you either had uh, Maka do that role, or you had Serloff. And to be fair, tactically, I think it was the right choice putting Serloff back because last week we saw what happened in midfield. We were getting overrun, so putting Maka more centrally and expecting and making join with Kabai and Luca. I think that was a correct choice. And then the only option you have is Soloff. And he done he done well. He he tracked back. Uh, he was strong on and off the ball. PVA, of course, he was not an outright defender. So PVA, you saw during the game, PVA was coaching him like, mark him, mark him. But yeah, he done well. And it'll be quite interesting because when Wilf does come back, I'd rather have Soloff start alongside Benteke, and that means that Wilf has to track back and Serloff is, uh, stays forward with Benteke. That'll, that's, that'll show him his real strengths because yesterday we saw the defensive efforts rather than attacking of because of uh, missing the winger that could track back. Um, but yeah, when Wilf does come back, I want to see him start next to Benteke. Yeah. See what he does. Yeah, that's kind of where I was with it. I was expecting us to play 
the kind of usual way we did with MacArthur out left and having Soloff play much more sort of, you know, with Benteke. And it was interesting when the two did get a chance to link up, I was quite encouraged. There was one little cross that, uh, that Soloff put in from the, cutting back from, from the left-hand side onto his right foot, just dinked a little ball into Benteke, he headed it down and it's, you know, it was inches away from MacArthur tapping it in. And those are the sorts of things I really like to see early on in the performance. But again, going back to what Stefan said, he can't get carried away. And um, I just felt it was, a, it was a bit of a shame that we, we put him into that position the way we did. Um, although you could argue it worked pretty well first off, you know, and as you say, it was interesting seeing Van Arnholt coach, you know, Alex Soloff through it. He kind of hoped, wished that in the second half, Soloff had coached PVA through it. You know, they might have... Yeah, we might might not conceded uh, quite so easily uh, in those situations, but yeah, I think it was a, it was a promising performance. But I, I am slightly baffled by, um, and there's, there's a hell of a lot into it. We can't get into it all today because otherwise, we'll you know the show gone for four hours. But I am slight. It's interesting to me that we, I, I just feel we were in a position where we have a striker, an actual an actual natural striker, playing further out wide than we usually play the winger that was in that position, i.e. Wilf. You know, we Wilf just plays more centrally um, than, than Soloff was asked to do. And I kind of felt it. Naturally, the two things would be the opposite for me. Seven. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that whilst we're kind of saying that we didn't have, I think we were alluding to the fact we didn't have enough width or enough pace on the wings. I just think that's a Roy tactic. And I don't mean to knock him because I'm a massive Roy fan, but... Most of the season, especially away from home, when Roy has options of pace on the wing, he chooses not to start them most of the time. He'll either put Wilf up front or even a Sacco. I mean, until recently, he was only going to be, especially away from home, an impact sub for the last 20 minutes. And he's often chosen to have a Loftus-Cheek or a MacArthur on the wing. You know, And it's worked. And uh, it's, it's not necessarily what I would do, but I don't think that even the injuries are why we went that conservative in that regard. I think he would have done it even uh, even if uh, we had a few more players back from injury. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Uh, let's talk about that, that sub situation. I know you wanted to get something off your chest around that, so you can kick us off with that and then we'll start. We'll reference back to last week as well. Well, my point is really, it's not going to be popular with a few on here, let alone Palace fans, is that I just think that our fans are a bunch of bedwetters when it comes to a few injuries and you know our bench and everyone's going mad at Parish and... It's all a bit ridiculous. I mean, first of all, without a few injuries that happened in January, the start of the window, we wanted an out-and-out striker and we all admitted that it would be difficult to get a starting striker, someone that could walk in and and do that. And a goalkeeper, which we all know it didn't happen, it will happen in uh, the summer. But we didn't actually talk about centre-backs or we didn't actually talk about needing more wingers. And as I said, Roy doesn't necessarily go for wingers. That's probably why he let uh, Kai Kai go out on loan. So... I just think that Palace fans are going absolutely ridiculous crazy about our lack of depth. You know, we've got an unprecedented injury crisis of which a lot of these injuries happened really late on. Uh, I just think they want want us to sign. I think Mikey said before he went on air, they want us to sign about 25 first-team strikers, not worry about the wage implications, still say that they're pro-youth. And then when they do come back from injury, we'll just have the most ridiculous situation. Well, that's exactly it, and, that, and that's one of the points I really wanted to get to today. You can't, you can't cover for the eventuality that we currently see. Now, it's e- it's easy to point and say we failed to get the goalkeeper, and I genuinely will I'll say now that was an that was an error of judgment. 
and you know it's an error for judgment because of the scramble to try and get um, Ron out um, in, in at the last moment without Bromby having a replacement for him, right? You know we desperately wanted a goalkeeper. So we've messed that up. <coughs> Excuse me. But we have, you know, not only do we have a limited amount of money to spend, but you, you, you've got it exactly, Stefan. It's about... It's about the, the squad that you have. You, you've got 25 over over the age of 21. So we're talking about players who are going to make an impact. So, you know, chances are you'll be signing players over the age of 21 anyway. And then to go out and, and get those, what you, you have to name people who are injured and potentially can play that season. You have to name them in the squad. People aren't going to buy them. So you've got those 25. You can't really put yourself in a position where you're signing... What would we need? Okay, we're not saying we have to sign a player for every injured player we've got, okay? But to have cover, we need we need cover in the centre-backs, we need cover in midfield, we need cover at full-back, we need cover in goal, we need cover up front. You know, we're going to sign five or six players? Is that what people were expecting? Um, well, that's, I want to add to that because that's, that's the kind of next point I was going to make because people talk about depth, but depth, I mean, realistically, that means average players unless you go out and sign quality. I'm all for absolute quality outright that improves our starting eleven. But basically the type of players that Palace fans seem to, and it's not just Palace fans, happens at other clubs, um, demand are people that are effectively no better than Chung Yong Lee or even arguably, not right now, but the kind of Jordan Mutches because actually Jordan Mutch and Chung Yong Lee were players that when they were playing week in, week out at their clubs were excelling. In the Premier League, in fact, Mutch did well with Cardiff and Lee did well for Bolton in the Premier League. But if you bring them into our sort of a club and they're not what you're building your team around, they're in a different system and they're rotating into the side, then they're not going to be able to come on and make an impact. So really, quite frankly, I believe in what James Scowcroft said uh, on the Times pod this week, which was that it's quite healthy to have two youngsters on the bench. And quite frankly, their energy gives everyone on the team a bit of a kick up the bum and... Uh, it goes further than an average player who's not got that same drive. We we kind of saw that from uh, Sw- Tommy Saws in the uh, Premier League as well. Yeah, well, and you know that point you're making, you're making there again goes back to the point you were making about Wan Bissaka and getting him. He was on the bench. Why not use him? You know, uh, Nick, you want to make some points on this? Yeah, it's, it's just uh, Stefan talking about the quality of the kind of not in the first eleven out of the twenty-five. It's it's difficult to get decent quality players because the likes of Chelsea are buying them all anyway. I mean, Man City spending all that money on a player, they don't need to buy any new players. How many points are they winning the league by? It's just stopping everybody else. And it, it's it's spoiling the game to a certain degree. But I also agree with Stefan that, that fans are expecting too much. We, we got what we set out to do, albeit the goalkeeper's going to be coming in the summer. And he looks mm. quite good, judging by um, how he played today. Um We've just got to live with it and actually start getting positive and behind the team rather than bringing everything down. Well, yeah, to, to address that, because you've said, oh, the, you know, the fans are expected too much. So I'm going to preempt something that um, that would be labelled at you for that comment. I mean, you'd be you'd be told, well, oh, expecting us to sign players in the transfer window, right? <laughs> that, that's what you'll get. Um, and, I, and I want to make it clear, that, you know, that kind of view, I, you know, I, I agree with, with Nick on that, that we are, that we are to, a degree, to a degree expecting too much. But that doesn't mean I was happy with the transfer window. That doesn't no. mean I think that we did well. And I, and, I, and I think we did a bad job in the summer as well. It was, you know, and again, it's, it's easy with hindsight, isn't it, to say that, you know, Sacco ended up being a bit of a mistake um, because he hasn't played. Um, and we, we've spent a large portion of the budget. But I'm not going to criticise for that because you can't predict those sorts of things. But 
you know, I'm, going into the, the season with one striker, you know, it wasn't defensible. We had, you know, Steve on the show and, and he talked about why it wasn't, you know, he clearly wasn't happy with that situation either. But at the same time, you cannot legislate for what we've experienced in, in terms of the injuries. You cannot expect, you know, you cannot say it's bad leadership at the club to not predict 10 injuries. Bottom line is any club in that league that have the number of injuries that we have to the players that we've had would be struggling right now. Nick? I still think a lot of it is down to the fact that we only got the one player on deadline day and we actually did a bit of business early. It's ironic that the, the earlier ones we bought still haven't featured in the first team. But I'm sure that other things were in place and it just seems like good ideas badly executed in the transfer window. It wasn't wasn't for the want of trying, it was for the want of knowing how to do it. No, right but, it, it, no but it wasn't good. You know, this, We're not going to say on this show that, you know, we're not, you can't make excuses for all of it. It's obviously yeah. difficult. We, we've heard a number of times from, from Steve Parrish on transfer windows about just how tough it is. And it's not just about, because everyone talks like it's Steve signing the players. Um, but as he said before, ultimately, yeah, you know, he, and he said it in this window. I can't remember what, what, what the article was, but he said it in this window. It was, you know, he was asked to go and get a cert, cert, well, some deals for a certain type of player. Then we've had a few injuries and all of a sudden the manager's priorities have changed. And he wants a different type of player, so you've kind of done two weeks of work on a on a on a signing that suddenly you don't need. And you know we had we had players in 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 London waiting to sign for us. So all of a sudden, because other priorities came up, we had to we had to kind of just say to them, "Yeah, sorry, off, off you go." You know, it's uh, it's it's an incredible situation to be in. But um, it wasn't just all down to to you know doing things too late and running out of time. It was because late decisions. You know, decisions would change late, and uh, you know, and, you, and there's a buying club and a selling club. It's an incredibly difficult thing, and you know, it does make you want to scrap the window. Dr, you've been quiet. You've not had much to say on this, so we'll bring you in now. Um, so we are, you know, we've obviously got sidetracked into talking about the actual decisions in the window. But going back to last week, we were talking about the use of substitutions, and yet again, we've had a situation in a game where Roy hasn't used subs. Now, last week, you were like myself saying, well, actually, we were chasing a the game. There was no need to potentially make those subs. Um, and, uh, and I know Ed was, was saying differently, and I think a, lot, a couple of people have said Ed's point was vindicated last week. But this week is a very different situation, isn't it, when you're 2 or 3 nil down late in the game. There was an obvious opportunity to rest people or to try something a little bit different. Exactly, Chris. Um, how many muscle, muscle fatigue injuries have we got? And yeah, yeah, I think last time we done a substitution with January second, we were losing three 0 down. You can see it by the players. You can see it by how we're playing. We're not going to do a comeback, even when we scored the penalty. So, what I, what I don't understand is we bought players like Racket until the end of the season. Why would you buy him if you're not going to give him at least a chance? Kabai yesterday, I don't think he had a perfect game. Players were going past him way too easily. We're just not goodbye. Like Juan Bisica as well. He he done good in the summer. I know Roy wasn't there, but it's just it's more about giving players chances and taking players off to rest because that's why we get so many injuries. It seems like we're pushing our players way too much. And last week we were pushing a game. We'll you know we we're creating chances. So I remember when Ed was saying bring in another striker and then take off a midfielder. But that would have changed the system and maybe the game would have changed. But this week it was whole lot. The, the game's over done with. So. Give people chances like Rackett. We come until the end of the season. I, so, how many 13, 12 games left? And then he goes back. And what was the point if we're not going to play him? Indeed, what was the point, <laughs> Nick? 
Over and done with. I don't like your attitude, young man. I'd still believe we were going to equalise with five minutes to go. <laughs> don't, don't take that attitude. All right, we're, we're finished. All right. As this game means nothing, I'm going to stick you on, young fledgling player. This will really confidence. Nick, the dribble's uh, leaking out the sides of your mouth with that one. You know, the, the, the game was dead. It's an ideal opportunity, especially at 3-0. They um, scored two goals very quickly. And yeah. don't forget, Chris Ball can also happen away as well as home. Yeah, yeah, but, but we were doing nothing, absolutely nothing. And let's not forget what sparked Chris Danbow. Eh? It was a, it was a substitution. <laughs> it was a change. All right, <laughs> all right, you got so, me there. <laughs> in your face. <laughs> and there's, there's, lots, there's capital letters from Stefan with a me, Stefan. Well, I agree with Dr on the whole using players like Wambasaka, etc. Point, but the main point I want to make here is that our fans just kind of get so excited about small margins. I mean, football is small margins, but basically until they scored in the second half, we were holding our own. And if we scrambled in that goal against Newcastle and be two points higher in the league, then everyone has a completely different change of attitude. Whereas I like Roy's approach of overall trying to analyse the performance over the 90 minutes rather than looking at just small margins here or there. It's not... It's not like Pardew used to make excuse for five small margins in a game. Yeah. These are genuinely one or two things that would have changed our whole outlook on how we played in both games. Well, that's that's an interesting point and something else comes to you later. We might as well do it now. And that's, you know, Roy's comments after the game. I think, you know, sometimes when you, if you look at the written quotes, it can kind of mis- mislead you a little bit because in the written quotes, you know, he's like, you know, we played pretty well. And a lot of people will be like, come on, mate, we just lost 3-1. But when you actually look at what he said, and he, started, and, he, and he talked specifically about, in the, in the context of playing well, we played well enough with the players that we had. And it, was, it wasn't it was down to having the wrong players out there that we lost. It was down to the players that were out there making individual errors at key times. Um, that's how he saw it. I'm not necessarily sure I completely agree. But interestingly, when we get into the analysis of the goals in, the, in a minute, you, you know, you can see exactly what he's saying. Um so, and you know, as, as you've said in the chat there, Stefan, he is a cautious manager. That's how he operates. So it's, it's, a, it's a good point that you make. Um, and I think he'd have been happy to get a point out of that game. And perhaps without the individual errors at the start of the second half, we, we'd go on and we do that or maybe nick it. But uh, DR, you wanted to talk a while ago going back into the, the discussions over the subs. Um, Probably forgotten now, haven't you? It's difficult. Yeah, yeah. Something, to do, yeah something to do with Nick. Um, yeah, I just, yeah. It was Nick, Nick made it. that point about it. Um, that the game not being over, and I think you were probably as incredulous as I was that he made that point. Yeah, it, I think I think it was that. Yeah, Nick, come on, wake up. <laughs> <laughs> if you think the game wasn't over after that, then no, I, I I kind of did, but I, I still had some <laughs> hope. Still had some. There was a light still on in there, flickering away. Thinking, come on, if we get one now, and um, yeah, you got to keep hoping. Yeah, yeah no, sure, you got you. You've got to put a fresh player on, like Chris Samuel. Like Chris said, Chris Samuel, how did it happen? Substitutions. Put a fresh yeah. player on and see what happens. We were losing for you, yeah. you know? and then well, goodbye, he should should come come yeah, exactly. He should have racket. He should have come off a racket. You should have, but that's there that's the go. problem. All right, um, you guys have quite finished talking over each other. <laughs> <laughs> Clash oh, of the good. generations. There's some interesting points there, and obviously, if you've got any views at home, do get in touch with the show, hrradio.net forward slash contact. Um, let us know what you're thinking there, but uh, plenty of analysis still to come. You Can tell, Can you tell I'm looking something up as I'm speaking? 
that's uh, I start to delay my, what I'm saying as well. <laughs> oh. Oh, my, my iPad has gone insane. Let's go back to that then. Uh, sorry. So I did honestly. I did feel the worst when I saw um, Sigurdsson Sigurd had been dropped in the, the previous week, and uh, I really did feel the um, fear the worst. Sorry, when I saw him saw him in the lineup because he always plays well against us. Goals and assists are plenty in the last few games that we've played, um, and I think. He had an early long shot that drifted just wide, um, which pretty much set the tone because I thought he was excellent. And you know, we had that. You know, for us, I suppose we had a, we had an early chance. Uh, Luke had a long range effort. It was sort of very, very frankly deflected wide. Um, worth worth mentioning that Hennessy in the first half caught a lot. Uh, had a, made a very, very good save from a from a shot from Gay. Good, good tip around the uh, around the post there, which was. Uh, you know, it was a good stretch from him. Good to see. Um, kept us, kept us the nil-nil, yep. What I liked about that was that he really had a go at the players in front of him there. He really yeah. had a, why didn't you close him down, which you don't see him do very often, so hopefully. No, exactly. Those are the things that when we talk about consistency with Wayne, those are the things we like to see. We like to see decisive goalkeeping, decisive communication. We like to see, we like to see him focused and wound up when things aren't going well. You know, Far too often, he, he seems way too passive in there, and I liked it. And he had a very, very good first half overall. Um, you know, it's only it's unfortunate that we'll talk about the third goal in a bit. That there was a little bit there that spoiled it for him. But I will make the point very, very early on <laughs> that there was far more errors prior to that that were the cause of that goal than anything that Wayne did. So uh, let's let's make that point now before I get slaughtered again. Um, but you know what, we we got we got into half time. You know, we weren't, I think, probably Everton shaded it in terms of possession and, and you expect them to do that at home. You know, they you know, they have to really take the impetus. But if you look at the, uh, you know, that Benteke header that, that could have either dropped in or could have dropped to MacArthur, that's probably the, the best chance we've had in, in the first half. Um, other than when he, he sort of scored with his arse, I think, didn't he? When a cross came in and he sort of went across the keeper. But unfortunately, he was offside. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. Um, whether the goal would have been given if he wasn't offside. It was ironic uh, that that was at Everton because that is Dixie Dean was one of their greatest players. And I know older listeners will know who I'm talking about. This is probably going over DR's head completely, but nearly every one of Dixie Dean's goals involved him somehow shoving the goalkeeper (laughs) over the line. And in those days, they were given. (laughs) Yeah. You remember Dixie Dean live, don't you? You saw him play. I don't actually. It was a little bit before my time. Um, I was joking. The the earliest sort of superstar I can remember seeing is probably George Best. There we go. What a privilege that must have been, mate. He broke it in Evan's leg, the bastard. Anyway, um, second half. Let's talk about second half rather than George Best. Um, worst possible start. Just a long kick up by Pickford. Tompkins had an absolutely atrocious. You know, he's been really, really good uh, this season. Been, been probably the best centre back. You know, when he's been fit. And, oh, it's terrible. And then Fossey Mentor doesn't really react to it, and the ass does. Knocks it to Sigurdsson, and of course the deflections off Tompkins, who's still kind of reeling to to get back into position. Really scrappy goal, changed the course of the game, and you know, Dr. That's it's it's a horrible scrappy goal to concede, but you know it starts with Tompkins, doesn't it? 
Yeah, Tompkins has been our best defender this season. You know, I, I'm I'm actually very surprised that West Ham sold him to us. He's he's very composed, and it was such a it was not it's not something that you see Tompkins normally do. It, it was a rash header. It, it just uh, put up in the air and not actually to someone. Um, yeah, and then he, when he dropped back, I think I feel like Forster Mesa could have done a little bit better. He was beaten a bit too easy, and as I said, it just goes back to Tompkins and. Uh, deflects off him to go back in the net but yeah it was such uh, it's one of them things that even the best players they have their you know that odd mistake in them so yeah but he's yeah it's one of them ones Stefan there's not too much you could do do about it really after after the way that you know the mistiming of that header you know I'm critical of Professor Mensa for not quite reacting quick enough but realistically it's it's more luck after that isn't it you know you've just got to try and get a foot in um, and we and we don't yeah, I mean, these things will happen. I mean, every team, even when you look at Man United and defenders there, you know, these things happen, they're humans. We were pretty solid throughout. We had five, ten minutes of a bad spell. It was Tompkins' fault, and he has been good. Uh, it wasn't Hennessy's fault. Fossil Mensa maybe could have done better, but it, it, I can't really add much more to it than that. I think you guys covered it well. Indeed. And uh, Nick, take us into, taking us into the second goal. So, another long kick. This time... It's not Tompkins, it's actually Fossey Mensa who goes up for the header, but he's absolutely miles off it. Ball sort of breaks into the area, knocks it, knocks it out, someone knocks it out wide to Kenny. Un, unmarked completely, uh, and well, he puts it across. And uh, I think it's it's Sigurdsson who's out on the, out on the wing there. Picks yeah. Up Ward's very, very slow to get out. And this is where I get critical award because it's just too easy to get past him. He can't stop the ball coming inside. Which is unlike him. Well, I, I think it's I think it's endemic of him. Really? <laughs> I really do. I think that's his when he's at his best. You know, he's getting a foot in there. But, but generally speaking, that's been for me that's been the decline in Ward prior to his recent good form. But you know, he's only, he's back in the team after a long layoff. So I've got to cut him some slack there. But you know, and it, it's, again, it's a little bit of bad luck because as the ball's knocked to Davis, he sort of he sort of deflects through and finds Martina. But then you look. This is where the real problem is, right? So first of all, you've got when Kenny put the original cross in, Van Arnholt is is in the midfield. He's standing by Luca, and he's entirely motionless, just standing completely still as the fullback has gone on the overlap and got into the box, and he's completely left un- unattended. So he's not he's not playing as a left back at that point. So then you know that's crit- you've got to criticise that uh, you know anyway uh, because he's got his hands on his hips, he's gesturing, but. Why isn't he running back? Why isn't he trying to bust his gut to get back in position? But the ball goes too long, you know, and obviously Goodson does what he does. But by the time the ball comes back into the area, you've got Ward out and, you know, being beaten in the right back position. But you've got the three defenders standing in a line. No one's marking anyone. So they're not marking Walcott, who's drifted into the centre, sort of around the penalty spot. Tompkins is looking at him and he's slightly pulled towards him, but not really with him. Walcott's calling for the ball. Are they are they zonal marking there? Do you think because we we had we had this a couple of weeks ago with a goal that was was just as similar, wasn't it? With statuesque well, um, kind of defenders not knowing what they're doing. I mean, for PVA not to be getting back, he he definitely needs to be castigated for that. Definitely. Well, you, you know, you've, you've interrupted me to make a point there, and I appreciate that. But I can explain. They are they are, whatever zone they're marking. There's no players in it. Um, and what you don't do is stand in a big line and just wait for the ball to come across. Um, 
So Van Aanholt's the one who's not coming out to meet the ass. He's just got an easy header. But in re- reality, I'm not necessarily expecting Van Aanholt to, to do that. I'm expecting the two centre-backs <laughs> to pick up the two players in the box or at least to be in a position where they're anticipating the ball going to one of those players. You know, it, I have to say the second goal, yes, you know, you make mistakes, but the second goal is incredibly embarrassing because look, look at how Nias puts that ball in the net. He's standing there, he gets to do a standing header and just slowly header it back across the keeper, you know, safely into the goal. It's the softest goal that you'll see us concede. And it's just, no one, no one's even moved by the time he's made the header. It's just an absolute shocker. You can tell I'm annoyed about it. <laughs> um, so there you go. That's my analysis. <laughs> Anyone yeah, else? I, I did interrupt because you, you asked me a question and then went on five minutes. So I thought I'd better try and get in and answer this question. Yeah, at the end of, <laughs> at the end of it, there would have been a follow-up question. But then you, yeah. you preempted that follow-up question by talking about the, yeah. one of the reasons it might have been, which was zona market. So yeah. well done. If we uh, In the edit, Mikey, can we chop that? So Nick puts Nick's answers at the end. <laughs> there you are. Just just back to the um, communication thing. I was saying well done to Hennessy, but shouldn't he be saying, "Oi, don't, what about those two? Come on, sort yourselves out." <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Uh, a bit of commanding, you know. Could could he come out and grab the cross rather than yeah. stand there? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? You watch it a few times, you can make those decisions. But I don't know. I just what I see is a, a goalkeeper and, and three defenders standing in a line across the goal, but not affecting the game and making it way too easy for us to, to go 2-0 down in a matter of minutes. And it's, you know, they're human beings. They make mistakes, but, uh, you know, the game's lost in that moment. Deal. Um, Chris, are you sure that PV, you, did you say PV was out of uh, position? Because looking back at the replays, I'm sure he was marking Nias, but then when the ball actually came to Nias, he went backwards towards Hennessy. No, no, when I, when I, he was out of position, on the original, when the original cross came in, I was talking about when uh, when Kenny gets himself into the area, yeah, uh, to make the cross. PVA stand in the midfield, but when he come back, you're right. He probably does back a little bit away from the ass, but excuse me, but he's backing away into into the same line that the, the defence are taking, and, and I don't understand why that is. He's not marking the ass yeah. properly. Is that yeah? Exactly yeah. Hundred percent. That it was. I was actually so when it happened, I just I, I actually started laughing because. I was like, seriously? Because Nias was there and he was so close to him, but then started to back away towards the, towards the goal line. So I was I was a bit shocked, and that was very, very, very poor. No matter how good or bad game you have, but if you're if you're gonna leave a striker open like that once he was marking him, I'm sorry, that's that's just schoolboy defending. And yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's handing a goal to someone. I'm actually just just because you've you've said that, I'm going to look at I'm looking at it again now. So there's Martinez cross. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. He backs in away as the header comes in, but as as the cross exactly. comes in, he is standing way off in the ass. And it's funny you can you can see you can see him sort of line up as the as the ball deflects to Martina, and then they all just yeah. Tompkins <laughs> thinks about stepping out. MacArthur does come back in towards Walcott so in reality if you look at MacArthur coming in back in towards Walcott you've got the entire defence bar ward to mark one player and they don't they don't even get a challenge it's uh, you know those are you know when, when Hodgson's talking about mistakes at the end of the game you know that's a big yeah. and that's it's not just one person making an error it's you know and again having looked at it there's no way Hennessy can come for that ball there's, you know it's, it's not that kind of an angle so it's it's down to those defenders to to play the, you know to watch what's happening in front of them play that game. But there you go, very very disappointing. 
Um, let's talk Ben Tecker again. Um, a couple of a uh, couple of chances, and this is a really really key one, Stefan. Um, at two nil. Yeah, I mean, I'll let you talk about the chance first, and then I, I sort of was <laughs> right. hoping to talk a bit about Ben Tecker. Well, you know, essentially we're just we're just talking about a, a decent cross into the area. Benteke actually gets up extremely well and he does the right thing, okay? He really does. Gets up, heads the ball back across the keeper. Keeper's getting nowhere near it. And you're talking again, you're talking very small margins. Stefan, you mentioned margins earlier on. This is what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about in terms of, you know, a, a confident f- firing Benteke puts that ball in the net. But for the course of this game, he's had a couple of headed opportunities. And, and unfortunately, it's just those opportunities that, like they're key for us, you know. He's got to put them away. When you, and that's why you get in the criticism. But I find it incredibly frustrating because it just it lessens the, you know, it makes gives people an excuse not to notice the great things that he does do during the game. I mean, you go for, go back to the first half. The guys, you know, twice in, in in our best moment of the game, for Luca has that shot. Twice he's actually brilliantly held the ball up. First, back in his own half to play a great ball out to Townsend. Then he's back on the the far side of the area, making the right choice to set Luca up for a great shot. He's he's battled brilliantly. He's linked well with uh, Soloth at times. It's you know, if you know, he makes good on the, the two proper chances he gets. That's you know, <laughs> it's a totally different game. But for whatever reason, Stefan, let's talk about it. He's not putting the ball away. Yeah, I mean, with Ben Teke, I want to start from the point against most Palace fans, which is he's obviously proven quality. You look up his goal-scoring record, you compare it to names that people are saying that we should have signed ahead of him and, and, and be playing ahead of him, then it's ridiculous. He is proven quality, but even when he was scoring at Palace, we haven't seen those kind of more technical plays that he had, like a a really fantastic goal once of pre-season for Liverpool or some long-range efforts that he had at Aston Villa. We've only ever seen the effective but scrappy side of him. And therefore, when the goals dry up, I think it's easier to lose patience with him. And I have to say that whilst you know I, I don't like the Benteke bashers, I think at this point in time, I am starting to lose a bit of frustration too because I'm not saying he doesn't do anything well, but I think that some of the things that you're describing that he does well, even a centre-back, with those strengths would do most of those things. I'm really not seeing those striker instincts, those runs forward. And I know confidence is part of that, but you know, at some point we, it, it, we've got to call a spade a spade. And, and he has, he has had an extremely bad run and it hasn't got going at all. I don't think he's off. No, I, 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 there's no doubt when you look at where we are in the season, the fact he's got two goals, it's a completely unacceptable return for a player of his caliber. Uh, it really is. And, you know, the longer it goes on, the harder it is to to appreciate the rest of the job that he does. You know, whether whether it's whether you value it or not, it's you know, it's it's tough. Uh, Dr. Ednick, want to speak on this? Dr. First, uh, yeah, Bente going uh, talking about Benteke, Even he said that he wanted um, competition. There, I think on deadline day or something like that. And now we've got a competition, and I've always backed. Uh, Benteke, as you know, Chris, I think he's a tremendous footballer, but he's low on confidence. And yesterday just showed it. We can't we can't really drop Benteke because if you drop Benteke, then you do have Soloff there, but we play two up front. That's going to leave Wilf central again. And we all know that Wilf is more effective wide. So I'd rather still... It's, it's an odd one. Even though we've got an extra striker in, we still have the striker problems. Because Soloff playing alongside Benteke, um, that's, that's, the way, that's the way going forward. And Wilf playing wide. 
However, if he if he dropped Benteke, then Wilf has to play central. So it's just one of them things. I think he, after looking at yesterday, he needs some time off. He just needs some time off to reevaluate what he's doing and you know just take some games off and then come back and decide. But we can't even do that because we haven't got any other striking options except for Solov. Yeah, it's interesting that we um, we have a formation where we do like to have you know effectively a two up top, although it is fairly fluid. Uh, when you know the least amount of players that we have um, in terms of positions is in, in the forward department, but uh, you know, look, it's it's something we touch on every single week, and it's it's a difficult call. But I don't think you'll find anyone who won't say that 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 Benteke's contribution this season has been lacking, and um, it, now he's now he's actually match fit because for a while I didn't feel he was. Now he's match fit. He's getting in the, the opportunities. He's getting in the right positions to take, you know, to, to for people to create stuff for him. He's still not putting the ball away uh, as much as he as he was last season. And like I say two goals as a return tells its own story, unfortunately. And uh, you know, unless he has a, a really big purple patch by the end of the season, it's going to be one of his worst seasons ever. Uh, Nick, yeah, I mean, he did win us the penalty with a spectacular overhead um, scorpion. If Patrick likes to call it that, um, I mean, it was it was a side volley. I mean, I know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, fine, fine. Could this um, I thought he contributed a lot more than usual yesterday, but he's got a, he's just just for us. He's just got to put those chances away, and I almost hoped that he got the penalty yesterday. Was given the penalty to to smash home, um, but that could have gone one or two ways, couldn't it? And imagine Twitter if he'd missed. But oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, you've, you've switched Twitter off anyway, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, last couple right. of days. I didn't go on Twitter to talk about food. It's my main thing now. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Stephanie, you've touched on an intru- interesting point there about Benteke. Yeah, just in regards to the competition thing, you know, I think we've said it once before that people just think, right, well, that could be a factor why he's not performing, he doesn't have competition, and therefore they automatically go to that. But that's just one potential reason, and I don't think it works out. Because at Villa, he didn't have any real competition. I mean, about a Bonglahor, et cetera, were more kind of wide players. And at Liverpool, was the only place where he had comp- uh, competition. And that's where he probably performed the worst. Last year, you could hardly call Fraser Campbell competition. So I don't think that that is necessarily the problem. But one thing I think that doesn't help his cause when it comes to the fans, including myself, is that maybe his body language is different than your kind of atypical Brit when he misses a chance. He doesn't seem truly devastated in a way that maybe we'd see from, I don't know, your typical Irish smag, smashing the floor type of temper scenario. And I think that that helps us to, uh, that doesn't help us sympathise with him. So, yes, that's a good point. And I, I suppose similarly, you know, quite often he is, is a bit of a sort of a, a laugh when, you know, when, I think there was one against Newcastle that sort of flashed across the goal that, deflected just before it came to him and came off of his knee. There's nothing he can do about it. And he sort of turns away and has a laugh, whereas obviously everyone else is thinking, God damn it, you know, that was a really important moment. You're right, he doesn't he doesn't show much in the way of frustration. And I often think going back to when he scored against Leicester and how he reacted. Um, you know, he put his, you know, his hands to his ears and all that kind of stuff. And he said afterwards, oh, you know, I'm just saying, well, I keep going no matter what people say. But, you know, we all know what he was saying there. It was about being booed the previous week. You know, it was kind of a boo me last week, cheer me this week. I don't kind of care. But, and I don't think he won any sort of any, any fans doing that either. Um, it's difficult for him, you know, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure what the end result's going to be. I think, you know, we come to the end of the season and hopefully, hopefully we do stay up. 
you know, we've got to ask a, a big question, I think, of do we want Christian Benteke leading our attack next next year? Stefan? Yeah, I mean, again, I think he's proven. So I wouldn't lose faith in him. He's just still at a good age. But having recently read Roy's book, or the book on Roy, uh, on Roy, sorry, um, I have to say that I'm a bit surprised at how much faith that he's kept in him because he's not necessarily Roy's type of striker from having read this book about the type of players he likes at different clubs. Because whilst I'm not buying into this whole Benteke is, you know, significantly lazy thing, he isn't as hardworking as some. Sometimes that's under manager's instructions. He's trying to block lines. But it does seem, at least earlier on in his career in particular, that he favoured someone that worked really hard. Even he got Bobby Zamora working extremely hard um, and was very patient, even though his goal out, uh, outlay wasn't that great. But I guess, yeah, I mean, Ben Seke, he isn't that type of striker, even if you're a fan of his. Yeah, so that's a really good point. Um, you know, again, it's not, not a book that I've read, but one I'll probably seek out now you've said it. Um, but um, again, I suppose it goes down to options, doesn't it? Uh, sorry, Dio, you wanted to jump in on that? Uh, yeah, quickly uh, about Sam's point about faith. Um, in terms of faith, do you mean uh, how, many, like, how many games he's played this season? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. But how many, you're asking that question, how many games has he played this season? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, are you, are you, like, you know when Stefan said, um, the amount, I'm surprised at the faith, um, he's actually, um, how many times, like, how he's believed in uh, Benteke. I'm just wondering um, in what aspect talking about how many games he's, he's surprised that how many games he's let Benteke play this season or well or even bringing Solov straight in and, and playing one up front and putting Benteke on the bench you know he, he isn't a natural fit for Roy's type of striker he's more of a Sam striker but but yeah but then then again before which Solov just came last week he could have played and this week I guess Roy didn't have any options only now time will tell if he wants to keep the same formation and wants to keep him up front. I don't think uh, uh, that if Roy did have the option, he will, of course, um, play someone else, as he said, about the faith um, thing. And I don't think uh, we can judge Roy and his faith on Benteke. I know the point you're making, though. It's, it's, it's difficult, you know, yeah. obviously it's difficult to say he's necessarily kept faith with him when he hasn't really had many other options. But I know the point you're making, Stefan. It's also... You know, we've seen we've seen when Benteke was injured that, that he played Zaha and Townsend up top. You know, it, there's a chance he might have reverted to that before he had options uh, from when we signed, when we signed Serloff. So it is different. You know, I, I, I can see the point, but I think you're actually right, Dio, in the sense that he's had so few options that that he was always going to have to pick him. Really, um, you know, to to use as a focal point. And in particular, if you don't do that, it's it's you've really got to change. 
changed the way Palace play. And, you know, we actually, we did that quite successfully during the period he was, he was off. But yeah, I mean, again, you go back to the, uh, the summer, the summer question, as you've mentioned in chat there, Stefan, it's, um, you know, moving further on, he probably, well, you'd argue that he may well lose faith in him there. Uh, there was one last point that I wanted to talk about. And then we've got a couple of issues, but actually Nick, we'll, we'll get your point away first. Um, what on Ben Ticket on, oh, on Townsend? Oh, on Townsend, yeah, I thought he was very poor yesterday. Was he played the wrong side? Um, the amount of times he could have put the ball in and Ben would have scored because he was free, and he just seems to to dilly dally around too much. And you were talking about PVA not getting back. There was a couple of times where I noticed Townsend was standing with his hands on his hips, and he. He just seemed a different player without Wilf on the pitch with him. And I know even Max of the Day said, oh, we're not the same without Wilf. But this is Townsend's chance to shine and actually put a better better shift in. And can he cross with both feet? I don't think he can. And if he can't, why is he playing on the wrong side? Well, look, the side the side debate is is one that we've returned to a few times. He likes to play right, cut in on left, right? And that was the position that he's played. He's played that position for England. He played that position for Spurs. He's played that position plenty of times for us and been very effective, right? But he can also play on the left if you ask him to play on the left. I don't think that's the, the, the issue here. He can, he can put a ball in with his right foot. He's shown that um, in the past. Um, and he can put a ball in very well with his left foot. But he likes to be able to cut in and shoot as well. But the thing is, he hasn't really done much of anything in terms of not just crosses, in terms of cutting in and shooting. Uh, plenty of been, plenty of effort, I think, this year. But if you think last year, we had that issue, didn't we? At the start of the season, he just didn't seem to be putting the effort in. It just didn't, didn't seem not. I and mean, everyone just sort of thought, well, hang on a second, this, this isn't the player we thought we'd bought. But then it changed when Sam Allardyce and Sammy Lee got hold of him and he started putting it in. And then the start of this season, it's just not been effective. Uh, Stefan? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're very easy on him, actually. Um, I agree on how things went last year. But if we judge him for the fact that we actually got him for slightly cheaper than we would have because of his rele- uh, relegation release clause, he's got England caps, he's on a big salary, he doesn't contribute enough. For me, he's not got enough pace, and I like my wingers to have pace. So even when he was doing well last year, he's just not my type of player, which is kind of more my problem than his. But when he stops contributing assists and well, definitely goals, then I'm just not sure what he does offer. He's quite physically weak and he's just very predictable when he hasn't got that pace where he's going to turn and what he's going to do most of the time. And especially when you're coming up against Sam, he's going to know exactly what he's going to do. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. And obviously it was a very easy thing to, to look at our, our lineup yesterday and think, well, if we stop, we stop Townsend and we stop the counter attack completely. Um, go on, go on, dear. I think I think it's a bit harsh criticizing Townsend. Uh, yesterday he had a bad game, but overall lately um, he's got a couple of assists. He's got. I'm looking back at his stats and remembering these games: West Ham he got an assist, Southampton he got assists, Arsenal assist goal, Leicester assist. I know at the start of the season everyone was criticizing him as he wasn't getting enough assists or enough goals. But lately, he has delivered. And yesterday, he had the off game, just like PVA did, maybe because of Sam. Sam and, and Sammy Lee, uh, Big Sam and Sammy Lee, know his weaknesses. So we can't judge him by that. I think overall this season, he has delivered. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there. But yet, 
he made some very, very bad decisions yesterday, Townsend. I counted four or five occasions where he could have just got the ball in. And Chris is right. Yes, he does like to cut in. But that's not the point. I don't care what he likes doing. I want him to do what's going to get us goals. And that should be drummed into him. Yeah, well, I don't necessarily think that's... that's Again, I don't necessarily think that's the issue. You've got, you've got to let players play to their strengths. And one of his strengths is... Because you, you're on the right-hand side. Again, this this is a an argument over football simplicity, I guess. But because you're on the right-hand side, it doesn't mean you have to put a cross in with your right foot either. You know, you know. In fact, one of the goals, one of the assists that, that Townsend has got was from the right-hand side with his left foot. So I, I don't think it's necessarily a case of that. I just think it's the overall contribution. And if we're going to take, you know, Benteke to task on his lack of actual final contribution, then we've got to do the same with Townsend. And again, you, you know, we're talking about a whole, nearly a whole season here, and, and he's definitely underperformed. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that that it's fair to say that Townsend has not been the player this season that he was for for most of last, and he's certainly not given the you know the impact to the team that I, I feel he should be. Go on, dear. Hasn't Townsend played on the right all season? Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So I don't see that as an issue. Yeah, yeah, it just, I think it just goes back to the point, uh, like yesterday, it's just maybe off day, maybe tactics uh, by Everton, then news weaknesses. So, yeah, late, I understand, uh, yeah, I understand where you're coming from, Chris. Overall this season, yes, maybe he could have done better, but off late, he has got his goals and he has, you know, he's got his odd goal against Arsenal and, but his assist has gone up. So that's promising to see. I think it's a bit harsh saying that. You know he's been awful all season, and we should bring. No, I, I don't think awful. I just don't think good enough overall. You know, and I, you could you could label yeah. that a variety of players. I think I really do. Um, but you know, I know what you know what you're saying as well, Stefan, about style of play. You know, we go back. You go back to you know the traditional Palace wingers, and you, you've given an example in our chat there of, of Balassi, and that's that's exactly what I think. I you want someone to go at players, and Townsend can do it. He just chooses not to. Uh, more often than not, and it's nice to it's nice to get that little bit of excitement to get out of your chair and watch it. Watch it as some pacey winger and powerful winger just forces his way past players or tricks his way past players and just creates something out of nothing. That little extra, that little edge that you need to to get in front in the Premier League. Uh, last bit on this, Diop. Quickly, um, you said Balassi, but let's be honest, Balassi. Apart from his skill miss, what did he deliver? Oh, loads, mate. He was fun. Loads. I'll... What I always remember about Balassi is that oh, I think it was against Sunderland. One time he tried to cross the ball in and it went for a throw on. It was that yeah. type of player. I think, I know, I've heard of this as well. People have been saying, yes, Balassi, uh, Yannick, come back, Yannick, come back. But then again, I think people are overhyping Balassi in, in the first uh, place. Mate, he has it, got the pace. He has got the pace, Chris. He has got the strength. But when it comes to the actual end product, he hasn't got that. And we still he, see that. we have to be honest with ourselves. He created chaos, mate. He went past he created, two or three players. And when you're talking players, about then what? Yeah, but no, but that's exactly it. Then what? It wasn't necessarily a direct assist or a, a decent shot, but something. It created something and it, it made the, the opposition had to cope with him because they couldn't just leave him. Think again, we go back, think of some of those games like Think about what he used to do to Glenn Johnson when he was at Liverpool. You know, Johnson would walk off the pitch crying his eyes out after Balassi just tortured him. You know, those sorts of things. It was, that was, you know, that's, I know I'm just making the point about what Stefan was making. I was agreeing with what he was saying about the type of winger he likes. I'm the same. I, you know, I, I've, my Palace history makes me love that type of player. 
who, who just creates that chaos. Just you know, Wilf is like that. He's that. He's that extra class above him, my view as well. Um, but he creates that uncertainty and he forces the opposition to change the way they operate to just to try and cope. And that gives you the rest of your team, which is, if you're a Palace fan, generally speaking, the rest of the team isn't quite as good as that. But they get that extra bit of space and they get that extra bit of time on the ball because of it. And we've, that's just how we've always operated. And whether we can change that, I don't know. But, you know, that's a, that's, that's a sort of a story for the ages, really. We'll, uh, we'll leave that one there. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about a, a, a tweet we got earlier, but before I do, anything else from you, gents, on uh, that you wanted to bring up regarding the, the Everton game? No, I, I think that um, the the Sam issue, I didn't really give him that much thought beforehand, but yeah, it makes sense that Sam's going to know what we're going to do and what the players' weaknesses are. Yeah. Uh, Stefan, you got anything you want to bring up? Uh, yeah, I mean, on the Townsend stuff, I just think that if Kai Kai had played that many games um, all season, then he probably would have had a similar sort of output in terms of assists and goals as Townsend. Yet we kind of almost expect more and think the youngster has to do more to force his way into a team than actually expect more of the player that we should expect more of, which is the higher paid one. Um, but my second point is, last time I was on the pod, we we watched we were talking about players that we'd sign and positions at the end of the transfer pod. And I mentioned a natural attacking central midfielder. And I wonder if you guys have, have kind of seen where I was coming from since, particularly West Ham, where we had loads of the ball and just couldn't find those intricate gaps, those intricate passes to uh, break teams down. Yeah, I, I do. And I, I do know exactly what you mean. I just I just struggle with the with the idea that we would we would get the, the best out of that position. I, I know exactly what you mean. I, the biggest gap that I ever see when we play when we play any of our games is between the central striker and the midfield you know so often during the game even when we're breaking there's just this huge gaping sort of area where if you look at some some of the particular look at man, man city is an example it's an extreme example i'm not expecting us to play like man city because we don't have those players but they have two or three people in that gap between the opposition's defense and midfield we're just picking those spaces it's so difficult to play against you know, and having one person in there who's comfortable on the ball and quick on the ball, but it's the kind of speed of thought. But then you look at the players we've got around it, and can they really cope with that? I think Wilf would probably prosper with someone like that on the inside. Townsend might have a bit more to play with, but I look at Benteke and I think is he the sort of striker to get on the end of a little ball tipped in through the middle? Probably not. Um, other views on that? Is Nick or D? I've got some views on that. I was just thinking. Uh... Yeah, it'd be nice to be able to have a plan B as well. Yeah, it certainly would be, it'd be an alternate plan, wouldn't it? Dio? Uh, quickly, um, yeah, quickly going back to Stefan's point, I think we did have one, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I know he played wide oh, I think, uh, and we all played central, but if we actually switched them up uh, when Loftus-Cheek wasn't injured, then we did have our attacking midfielder there. Yeah, it was Not, what we were, we were all desperate to see, I think, at one stage. Yeah, and apparently with Loftus-Cheek... Um, I don't know if he's coming back on. It's just it's such yeah, a some, weird thing. Been was, uh, yeah, someone tweeted, didn't they? Yeah. They saw that Roy at a train station or something, something silly like that. And he, he yeah. suspected that Loftus-Cheek is out for the season and that Chelsea had gone very quiet on the issue. So, you know, that's another huge blow to the to the team there, really. Because as much as he wasn't, I thought he was perhaps a little bit overhyped at times. You know, he certainly made a, a contribution and was, was really starting to certainly click with, uh, with Wilf in particular. So... Are we, are we just tough luck with that line thing, 
saying something lost the loan place um is not really with us anymore we can't get an emergency loan in no that doesn't yeah there aren't really there's emergency loans for goalkeepers if you have no one but the, the emergency loan doesn't really exist in the form that you're thinking of anymore unfortunately yeah. those those laws changed um, and uh we obviously we would we would have had an opportunity in this in the in the window to send him back if all parties had agreed it was the right thing to do so none of us know what the reason was it could have been that coaching staff felt that he'll be back before the end of the season it could have been that chelsea felt that it wasn't right to terminate the deal or it could have I been just, the palace felt it wasn't right to terminate it. one way or the other you know someone decided that that was the wrong thing to do uh, so well, we just we just have to deal with it stay away from chelsea loans because there's no good <laughs> well, Bamford, Remy, and now RLC. Let's learn our lesson on that one, please. I, I think RLC has been unfortunate. I think he's, he was a he yeah. was a good signing, but it's unlucky he's injured. Um, Stefan, we'll end on your positive point, but just before we do, we got a message in from a, a regular contributor, Simon Pizzi. He was talking about fan ownership. Ownership. I won't be able to give it the time that I want to, but uh, he was talking about um, essentially his point was about you know, the board being accountable to supporters and, and supporters having that sort of input into the, the day-to-day running of a club. And it does, you know, fan sort of, you know, fan representation, fan ownership. Stefan's made the exact point I was going to make, which is we do have a, do have a fan owner and it's, his name is Steve Parrish. Um, but I think in reality, just take a look at, at, at social media. Just take a look at the message boards, right? It's how do you... How do you satisfy every whim? You know, how do you do it? How can you possibly do it? You know, was it Epsleet? Yeah, Epsleet did. They, you know, you'd, you'd vote. It was like, it was like X Factor, wasn't it? Vote for your fa- your favourite team lineup this week. Listen, we, we as, as fans, is it's wrong to say that we don't know anything, right? Because we spend an awful lot of time watching our team. We know our players. All right, we know our players better than people give us credit for. We know football tactics is better than we get credit for. But bottom line is, we all have different opinions and we have different ways of thinking about the game, right? So, in terms of accountability, I don't feel that beyond looking after the best interests in the club, um, which I believe our owners do, beyond that, I don't think they have any need to be accountable to us. I think ultimately we have to understand that as supporters, we have. We have feelings and, uh, you know, affection for our club beyond what our ticket entitles us to. And we have to deal with that. It's, it's called being an adult, you know. You don't get you don't get to have things go your way just because you you want them to. <laughs> you know, it's that's as far as I get with it. And listen, this is just my opinion, you know. I, I, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just This is just my personal view. You've got your own personal view and I'm not trying to rubbish it. I'm just saying it's impossible... The only the only real value in having fan accountability is through you know an organised group. I mean, Swansea did it uh, to a degree. They they had they had some input, but it wasn't real input into the you know into managerial selection, into team lineups and tactics and signings and that kind of stuff. It's really just about the general day to day ethos of the club, right? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with saying you know what, we want our ground to look like this. You know what, we want ticket prices to be structured in this way, that kind of stuff. When you come down to actually working within football, working within the environment, you just have to leave it to the people that are actually there. You know, it's... I mean, I I remember being involved in the the fans' focus groups, we called it, 
And I think that there was a, that was a really valuable thing to do in the championship. But they, you know, eventually they stopped because I, and I, I, I don't quote me on this, but I think they outlived their usefulness. I think you had that situation where nothing was ever quite good enough, and people wanted to sort of turn up just to get their views across and have a, have a row, really. You know, and I remember the last one I went to was about policing the Brighton game, and it's it was just you know it's just pointless. It really was because you know it was just people expressing a view, and the police went and did what they wanted anyway. The club do what they felt was best anyway. So I think Simon raised a really good point about accountability. But when you look at the the sort of entitlement that people all have across all areas of social media, and you know it's not just social media; it's been that forever in football. Fans, fans are you know are the lifeblood of the club, and as such, you know feel that they have they're owed something. You know it's very it's very difficult to to fully articulate what what I mean, but. Um, I just don't think that in this day and age that works. I think, you know, unless you've got an owner like Man City, you have, you've got, you know, the deepest pockets in the world and can buy whatever player that they want, that you're ever going to get the level of success that, you know, ultimately you crave. You know, we're Palace and we'll do what Palace do, I think. So, Stefan, positive point. Let's go for it. Yeah, I mean, I just think we've seen a lot of madness on Twitter and. You know, we all knew that these next upcoming games are going to be against the big clubs. They're going to be tough, but it's not. let's not write them off. We often beat some of the big clubs and we've got a bit of time to get people back to fitness. But we're, at the moment, we're point for point on the amount of points that we've played games, which is enough to keep you up nine times out of ten. And I do believe that even if we have a dip against the big clubs, and I don't think that that is a given, that the run of games that we have towards the end of the season is... Uh, a pretty good one, and Brighton are the other way, in fact. So I just want fans to keep some perspective and stop being such absolute wimps. I, I could not work with these people. That's, <laughs> that's their reaction to the smallest things. And, you know, a bit of perspective, sticking with the team, not being those fans of the Premier League, like the Arsenal TV fans that we all hate, and actually being the proper Palace fans that we know that we, we are as a club. No, I'd definitely go with that. I look at the fixtures and I think there's a strong chance that if things go as expected, you know, that we could well end up back in the relegation zone within the next three, four games. But it's not that's not over then. You know, there's like you say, it's a great run up, Stefan, that we've that we've got. Compare it to last year, you know, it's it's chalk and cheese really. We've we've got an opportunity to stay in the league, a really good opportunity, and we'd all have taken that after the first seven games, I think. And uh, you know, like you say carry on with the point again, we'll potentially stay up. It's absolute madness in the division this year. Look at everyone. There's so <laughs> many people on within about three points of each other. It's absolutely ludicrous. But, you know, it could be worse, couldn't it? We could be West Brom. That's <laughs> going to be the game, isn't it? It's going to be us or them last game of the season. Oh, I seriously hope they're already gone. that would be interesting. Certainly add some real excitement to it. Let's get the hell out of here. We've been on way, way, way too long. Uh, like he accidentally cowbelled. He's so bored. So thank you to everyone. Thank you so much to uh, to Stefan, Dr. and Nick, of course. Mikey for producing. Check out the preview show uh, in midweek. Um, no, it won't be. We've got a game till the 26th. Check out the preview show whenever the hell it is we next play. Uh, just get onto the pod- wherever you get your podcast from and subscribe. And we'll be back soon, probably. Bye. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. 
Your mate's already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport, powered by fans.